0: this is steve balton and you are listening to my turning point with special guest corinne bailey ray this was a really fun conversation on her upcoming tour with josh stone her favorite tv shows why she loves america her time in la so much more so i really hope you enjoy this one as much as we did i had a blast talking with her
1: hello steve hi how are you doing fine how are you doing today i'm doing very well how are you
0: I'm good, just trying to, you know, get everything going. And so where are you today? Are
1: you in the UK? I'm in the UK. I'm in Leeds. I mean, we've been here for like two years almost in a row since uh, just touring, finishing touring at the end of last year. And then obviously since the lockdown, we haven't really been moving. It's quite bad in the UK and quite, you know, quite strict. And, uh, you know, so we, we haven't really been anywhere for a while. I think it's been an absolute, it's been a mixture. It's been a mixture. I think at the beginning it was really nice to have a break and a rest and be with family. And then it's just been, I guess it's like everyone else, it's been really sad to sort of miss friends and miss milestones. And, you know, it's always tempered by the fact that you feel lucky that you have your health. But, um yeah, it's, it's a shame to be separate from people and uh, to feel like you're kind of losing social skills. You know, I've really enjoyed that the few shows that we've done for just being able to, not just for playing in front of an audience, but being able to play in a room with my band, even to rehearse and, um, you know, all of that has been restricted. And so it's really nice to be able to talk to friends and see friends and just feel like normal life kind of creeping back in.
0: You know, it's so funny because here in the States shows have really opened back up and things have opened back up and especially I'm in California. And it's funny because I, there's elements like I've been going out more but, man, I kind of miss being at home and not having to yeah. go
1: anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Suddenly, I'm sure the invitations are coming thick and fast. It must be great. It's great. On the other yeah. hand, it's like, eh.
0: So that's why I yeah. asked if you had cabin fever or you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. I think it. it on any given day, I could have given a, diff- a different answer. Yeah, I think uh, – or maybe at the start, it was nice to have an excuse to kind of rest and then, you know – more recently it's just felt sort of sad to miss people and you know yeah when you you
0: come up on two years of it it's a lot but it's interesting so for you how excited are you then at least to know that you have a tour coming up it's like something to look forward to
1: it's so much something to look forward to and I remember at the start of all this COVID stuff I'm saying do you want in 2022 to go on a cruise was like just Stone and I think En Vogue are going to be playing and it starts in Aruba and I was just like, you know, I couldn't say, couldn't say yes fast enough. You know, I just thought whatever happens, that'll be something really great to do in the winter, you know, to be going to the Caribbean. My family are from the Caribbean. So, yeah, it are be really amazing to just be somewhere warm in January and get to play. You know, I've never played in a cruise before I think it'll be really fun and then we're doing a tour straight off the back of that we're starting in Orlando and we're on a bus which I love to do I I really love that feeling on the road you know have your you unpack into the tiny space on the bus and you all together as a you know our crew and our our band is like family we've all known each other a really long time and um, and then some of the people are actually my family because you know I I travel our MD is my husband and I travel with my mother because we have two young children and she looks after them. So it's just going to be a whole intense family music experience, which I'm really looking forward to.
0: Okay. Now I've known Joss for a million years. She's amazing. But let's Wait. talk for a second about, you know, the En Vogue thing. I mean, cause I was not aware of that cruise. So for you, what would be the dream song for all of you to do together? You, Joss, and En Vogue.
1: Wow. I mean, I love love En Vogue's music and I I loved them as a kid. You know, I remember having their album on tape. I had Funky Divas on tape. Um, I think I'd got into them through my dad. He had the previous record um, and I think that had Hold On on it. Uh, Yeah, that had Hold On and then like Funky Divas was the record I got into. I remember it had these skits in it where it would start. It started as though there was they were warming up in the dressing room, you know, and then like someone was knocking on the door saying like, ladies, are you ready? And then it would be somebody introducing them and everyone screaming. And and I just thought, yeah, that is, that is for me. You know, that is really what I, that's really what I want to do. And that's, uh, so yeah, I mean, any of their songs I'd love to do. Like I loved, um, I loved what they did with Salt and Pepper, you know, and I loved um, Runaway Love and Hold On and all of their great songs. You know, they're, they're so fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I've talked about this to so many artists. I've done so many interviews in the last year and a half. So many. You know, because a lot of times artists couldn't tour and they're like, "Ah, I'm bored, I'll do an interview, you know? But so it's interesting. I mean, did you find then, look, you know, you may not, like you say, you have two small kids, you don't tour constantly. But when you know that you can it's different than having it taken away from you. So were you surprised at all to find how much you missed it or maybe how much you didn't miss it?
1: I was really surprised how, that how much I missed it, you know, because I'm, I was coming off the end of a really long tour and I've been touring this record for a while. And I've, so at first I thought this is a great excuse because I can get in the studio and finish. I'm working on, you know, projects. So I was like, I'll be able to finish that recording. That'll be perfect. But actually, you know, if you don't play in front of people, you don't have any feedback at all. So you don't have any sense of um, what you're doing, kind of connecting, you know, so you could be just hole up in a sort of cocoon of the studio for a really long time. But after a while, you start to think, you know, does this kind of mean anything? Does anyone want this? Um, and, And I think it was a strange thing that happened in the UK. An advert came out which the government, it was a government advert, but then they sort of said, oh, I don't know where this has come from, and it got quickly withdrawn. But it was about artists retraining, and it showed this dancer. she I think she's a black ballet dancer. And it says something like, you know, Fatima is now, needs to retrain or is thinking about retraining. And it was kind of a, you know, this mentioned positive government advert, like, hey, artists, you know, if you find yourself in this totally irrelevant position of needing to entertain people and, and uh, you know, that's not a real job, you can always retrain as, you know, a nurse or or something useful to, to the population. And so there's definitely that feel around for the kind of first years or even the whole time of this COVID period of, like, artists are just doing something that is indulgent, that's not really helping anybody and... Um, that they should just, you know, work out how to help how to help the world and stop sort of indulging themselves. So yeah, it was a really weird time to be in the studio indulging oneself and and getting no feedback. And that's what was so great about the first few shows, you know, seeing people's faces and feeling like, oh yeah, you know, music it's one it's one of the good things. It's one of the reasons we want to survive, you know, to be able to share life with each other and have this joy and, and, and interest and excitement. So yeah, it's been it, it's kind of reaffirming what I do to actually get in front of people. And I, so I realize like the audience is really important, you know, really important to what I do, you know?
0: All right. So wait for you, as you imagine it now, I'm fascinated with this. What would like, you know, obviously we don't have all day to talk to this, but what would your first day of retraining look like?
1: Oh, you mean if I, if I was like assigned to a new job, of a you were just ch- retraining
0: as an artist. What what do you uh, what do you imagine that first day of retraining would? Oh, look I see. Like?
1: If I was retraining as an audience uh, as an artist, I mean, I think that the thing to get back is I think that thing if you know you work out on stage, and you've just got to instantly kind of work out what the vibe is and I I actually really love to do that I find it terrifying but I really like to do that so you know if we're playing in Japan in like a supper club where people have just finished a meal that's a really different energy to if we're playing at say I don't know like Detroit's downtown in a club to 3,000 people or if we're playing at a music festival in Rio that's very different from the Vienna concert hall, you know, they're very different energy. So I kind of love that feeling like stepping out, obviously you've done the soundtrack, but stepping out in front of the audience and just seeing them and them seeing you. And, you know, really we kind of make it together. You make the show together. Cause it's about the energy they bring. And then the energy you bring. And you know, there's like the vibration, just the curves and the troughs, you know, it gets sort of steeper and steeper. Doesn't it sort of, well, I was going to say,
0: I remember seeing you two in 87 when they played the Joshua tree tour. And they would do, it was actually 88. Um, I can't remember which year. It was one of the two. They played five nights at the LA Sports Arena. And on the fifth night, they walked out with the lights still up as John Lennon's Stand By Me, which had been their intro song the whole time had been playing. They walked out to the arena and played Stand By Me, played along to the song as it played. So, all of this is a preamble to ask you what's the coolest opening you've ever seen from an artist? That, like, since you're talking about the o- opening and when the artist walks on stage for you as a fan, what's been the greatest opening you've ever seen?
1: Wow. I'm just That's imagining that you two thing. So, they ca- they come out of stage and it's like the energy's already there. The, the audience, they don't have to, you know, the, the artist doesn't have to do anything. I'm trying to think of what I've seen like that. I mean, I, when Jay Z came out in Glastonbury, it was kind of interesting because people were still, you know, British people still sort of hung, hanging on to the idea that Glastonbury is about guitars and it's about guitar music. And I remember he came on with an acoustic guitar slung around his neck and I think like was playing an Oasis song or something. I thought that was a cool sort of introduction to like, hey, I know this is what you all expect. This isn't so far from what I do. I'm doing this as a joke, and then I'm about to sort of rock this stage for 90 minutes with the songs that you all really actually listen to at weddings and parties and, you know, when you want to have a good time. And um, So I, I liked the subversion of that. I mean, I've seen, I have saw York play at the Blackpool um, Ballroom. It's at the top of the tower in Blackpool. And that was really incredible. I can't really remember how it was when she came out, but there was a special energy about the room and it was on a dance, like a sprung dance floor where people used to do ballroom dancing. So thinking about amplification, you know, if someone next to you was dancing, the floor was moving and you sort of started moving because they were moving and that led someone else to be moving. So the whole room was kind of rippling just because there were these kind of springs in the dance floor. That was kind of amazing. And, uh, you know, she just has so much sort of fire and energy. And I think at the end of the concert, she was like, oh, I didn't know how this is going to be because I've got a cold. And of course, nobody could tell. But it was this extra thing of this feeling because we had sort of known someone from their camp. And she was like, she didn't even know she's going to have to cancel tonight. But the the energy of the crowd kind of buoyed her and and kind of pushed her on. And I, I think that is the thing when you're a performer that, you're bringing yourself, but what you're getting from stage is so much more than you bring. And, I, you know, whenever I come off stage, I'm always high, much, much higher than I was when I went on. I can be very low energy in the day because I'm saving the little scrap I've got. But it always is multiplied by having been in front of people and, and, and sharing with them.
0: That's awesome. All right. So let's come to 2022, right? You're doing the tour with Joss. How long has it been since you played in the States?
1: Um, I think we did, I think we did a tour in 2020. I think we played in 2020 and, um, yeah, I think it's, it's been a good while, you know, and I love America. I mean, I really miss being in America as well. Like I miss being in LA. We recorded a lot of my um, last record there. So I really miss being in like, I always say it's wrong. I always say it wrong. Like everyone laughs at British people saying Los Feliz. But I, I think that's how I'm saying it. That district, Los Feliz. And then say, okay. oh, no, it's Los
0: Feliz.
1: Los Feliz? Los Feliz, yeah. Yeah, Los Feliz. You're like, you know, it's Los Feliz. But um, I love that area and walking around like Skylight Books and the cinema and the the market and the, you know, used book places. And I mean, I love parts of Los Angeles that you can actually walk around. Are so great to me. And the ice cream stalls and and the health food shops and I really miss LA and, you know, driving up the hills and swimming in people's pools and having an open-top car and sort of feeling like you're away and this is all really beautiful and, and clear and special and you can go for walks and hike and get a juice, but then you could be like in a meeting about a film that's coming out in two years and be like, Dreaming and scheming about putting music in it, and so I, I mean, I love LA and I really miss that mixture. And I love America just as a land, anyway. The sort of the mixture of people, the complex and fascinating history, and the obviously that you know it's the birthplace of so much of the music that I love. So there's so much romance for us going on tour and pulling into. You know, we're playing. I think on one of my children's birthdays, we're in like Savannah, Georgia. So you know, I have instantly got sort of images of. Georgia and and uh you know warm nights and peaches or I'll think about James Brown or I'll think about you know that there's just so much in every place and I don't have those same romantic feelings about when I'm touring the UK and you know we pull into a service station in say you know Birmingham or places that aren't that far from my home and it's drizzly and it's you know it's wet and nothing's exotic to me you know like none of the food on the aisles or none of the songs playing on the radio. So, so it's like America has this instant romance for me because I know it through books and movies and, and TV shows and, and, of course, through music. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to being back.
0: Right, that's really funny. I remember interviewing earlier this year the band Wolf Alice, who are oh, obviously yeah. from the UK. And we were discussing the fact that they had made one record in the US or they made one record in LA. But for them, they actually were excited to make their last record not in, in Brussels they made it because LA as they joked between the margaritas and the sunshine it was way too distracting for them so being Hack. a UK band they got way distracted by the margaritas so for you do you find LA conducive then to actually getting work done or is it more of a vacation
1: I find it conducive to getting work done because there's so many people there it's like Herbie Hancock lives in LA so it's like you might get to see Herbie play or you might get to see Herbie rehearse or King are in LA, who, who I absolutely love. So we're really close with Paris and Amber, so we can go to their studio and hear what they're doing. And I remember when I was there, Moses Sumney was living in LA and he was just, you know, doing his shows as a solo artist and you'd go to like the roof of this hotel or go to su- see him support this person or that person. Or I think we, bo- we both went to see James Blake in the Hollywood Forever um cemetery. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. That cemetery there. Yeah. And it's like the the lighting and the atmosphere and you know, so I, I like being around I like seeing shows in LA and I like I like the work ethic and I like the fact that there's so much film stuff. I think the one hard thing about it is LA is a place where people are very generally sort of very successful. So it's not a place to kind of retire to and sort of lick your wounds and your wounds and kind of remake yourself so um, you know I've got a friend who's an actor there and he says like, if you're only successful as your last project and if you have done something that's failed to a certain extent people avoid you as they're there your failure is contagious <laughs> and I and I kind of recognize that as well so yeah I think it while ever you're sort of riding high it's a good place to be I don't think I would live there my whole time but I like to go there and sort of try and achieve and, and enjoy and you know be smooth and pretend to surf and then I like to come home. You know, we get a lot of work done in Leeds where we are, which is a kind of cold and rainy city where there definitely aren't many distractions at all. And part of making music is a kind of you're inspired because you know that that's going to be your magic carpet around the world. Fair
0: enough. All right, this is so fascinating to me as an Angelino who grew up here. So I'm always so fascinated with other people's sort of romantic visions of it. Which I do totally get, and it's funny because I lived on the East Coast multiple times, and I thought I would never be back here, but I do love it. So, so for you, by the way, now since you've mentioned film and TV a couple of times, and you know, I'm sure you get asked about the music stuff all the time, very quickly, what are the three or four best shows and why that define America to you? When you think about being a kid or when you think about now as an adult and having a little bit of a nostalgia for that stuff, like what are what are the top five shows and movies that define America to you?
1: Wow, that's such a good question. I mean, I would think about like I guess like Woody Allen films in general. Or I'd, you know, I'd think about Manhattan. I'd think about that, you know, that um, woodwind instruments sort of starting low and and piercing up and and those symphonies and and thinking about that kind of sense of humor. His um his kind of self-depreciating intellectuals of bourgeois self-effacing sense of humor and how that works with the the women that he tries to love that are kind of he's outclassed by or you know that that sort of thing of you know the Manhattan skyline and playful funny mistimed things that that, I guess that would be an important part of America but also I think what else? I mean, I think of like Sesame Street and, you know, this sort of multicultural utopia where you try to teach children about diversity and different cultures and different foods and different ways of caring and different ways of loving. And it's done with these incredibly sort of real and human puppets and they can sing and the best and the brightest stars come on. You know, that's where I first ever saw Elton John was singing on Sesame Street, you know, and... I guess that was a big sort of American thing, and like we grew up with like Mork and Mindy. Uh, What else? We watched Kate and Ali. We watched Cheers. We watched, you know, and then like Sex and the City. Girls was massive, Um, and then so I guess that that's my. I guess so much of my American film world is is like that and TV world, and then my, I guess my sort of American black world is more from music, so it is more you know. Stevie Wonder and James Brown and Marvin Gaye and Bill Withers and the way that they would sort of paint these pictures in music. And I think probably were able to represent themselves and what they saw in the clearest way through music, which they, you know, they controlled. And, you know, those kind of stories, like imagining sitting at at Carnegie Hall and hearing Bill Withers, you know, sitting on a stage on a stool, playing grandma's hands and you know, the story that he tells before Grandma's Hands is longer than the song and this sort of folksy easiness and then James Brown's kind of more black power, pride, funk that he's invented and, you know, I think about all the sort of art movements and sunra and the way that people used... American identity. America is a place where you can go and sort of make yourself up and pretend you're from somewhere else. You know, think about Sunra thinking he's from, you know, Saturn, another planet, and how sort of America is the country to be able to put on a new suit and a new hairstyle and invent your past, like so many people did, you know, so many immigrants did. So, yeah, I guess... I do, I am sort of romantic about America and, and still very sort of hopeful, you know, about, about America and, and uh, the possibility that it, sh- it makes for people to sort of form and reform themselves.
0: That's so interesting to me. And it's funny also to hear that, that you know, sort of, um, you know, version from someone outside of here, because, you know, being uh, hopeful about America when you're in America at this point is difficult uh, for obvious reasons. But I yeah. want to go back to something for a second. You mentioned like Caden Alley, which I love that show. I love the fact that you mentioned that. That <coughs> took place in Connecticut. Uh, Cheers really? which no. is one of the greatest shows of all time, obviously, is Boston in East Coast. Yeah. So, and of course, you start with Manhattan. So it's very interesting that though you romanticize LA, your, your TV bent and film bent went to the East Coast. So I'm curious, are there any like Los Angeles shows for you? Whether it's like I'm thinking about, and it's funny now, the ones, of course, that are coming to mind are shows that are really trashy, like 90210 and Melrose Place. But obviously, you know, are there any sort of like film or TV things like, oh, my God, Steve Martin's L.A. Story, if you've never seen that, is one of the best movies ever made. Yes.
1: Oh, I have. I have seen that. That's a great film. Yeah. But I would have seen that like post um, you know, like se- seeing that as like, oh, Sarah Jessica Parker also did these films. And yeah, I, I love Ellie's story and the, the way that, um, Billboard is just sort of speaking to them. And yeah, I mean, he's fantastic. And, but yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah, there was Beverly Hills Cop, I guess there's those films, but the TV, the TV side of things in the early 90s, like you say, say 902 and oh. I would have felt frozen as this kind of working class girl. And I guess as a like black girl as well, I would have felt sort of frozen out of that kind of perfect hair, perfect teeth. Everyone's very wealthy. Nothing really bad happens. I didn't relate to that kind of TV. So I guess maybe my LA romance stuff really does come from being there. And I guess, you know, from music to a certain extent, like maybe sort of Joni Mitchell and Carol King sort of, leaving where they're from and going and reinventing themselves as, as hippies and living in the mountains and, you know, growing the hair and just trying to, you know, like shake off their, what their parents had, you know, shown them and taught them. Yeah. Maybe that's where my LA romance stuff comes from, but yeah, you're right. I don't have loads of, I don't have loads of LA TV stuff and, and maybe my, um, yeah, my fascination is around kind of New York and, Humor and grittiness and people living on top of each other. And, but getting to live in LA, I, I was kind of, I was in a bit of a nice dream world. And of course, I know LA has different sides, but um, the money yeah. side is seductive, you
0: know? No, it makes total sense. And, and it's funny though, because I mean, also then I think about a show like Cheers, and it's like, who doesn't want to imagine going into a place where literally, as the theme song says, everybody knows your name?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I ended up working in a jazz club that was my sort of equivalent of Cheers, you know, where you didn't have to get dressed up. I might have been there like five or six times a week. It was on my way to university, which was fatal, actually, because a lot of times I wouldn't make my lecture, you know, because i just like, oh, let me just call in there. And there'd always be people there that we knew. I, it's the sort of place where you can, you know, go there on your own. You'd have to arrange to meet anyone because there'd always be someone there that you knew between the fact that I worked there and the fact that I socialized there. And. And that was a really important place for me. It's where I met my late husband and it's where I met loads of my dear friends and where I started to move away from my indie band a little bit and to move more into sort of jazz and soul and um you know think of myself more as a singer rather than I'm in a band, and I'm just in this band, and there's only this band but to think oh i could I can pop up here and do this or sing this or try work with these people It's like open the doors for me like mentally.
0: All right, well, I don't want to keep you too long. We'll make these last couple questions, but an obvious one, as we've been talking about, because like you said, this stuff is just fascinating to me to hear other people's perspective on it, having grown up here. But obvious question. You mentioned working on a project. Are we going to hear new music? Any type of, like, Are there songs that you will be ready to play by the time you know you start the tour with Joss and you come to the States? Or is there new material that you're excited to share on stage?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, I've definitely got songs that are finished that I'm just like, finishing the production on now that you know I want my record to come out next year and it's a side project it's something really different for me um but but there are other songs that I've written that are just more for my yeah for my own for my own music you know continuing in the in the vein of stuff I've done before and yeah I would absolutely love to try it out on tour because that's really how people used to develop their songs, you know, just play them in front of people and be like, Oh, this, this part loses its way. This needs more work. This chorus could be stronger or let's do it again. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a challenge in the era where people have like phones and they will definitely share stuff and you've got a risk of, you know, playing stuff that's less polished. I definitely would like to try one or two new songs when we're, when we're traveling, because I think that also makes it really exciting for me because I want to see what people think you know I as much as I always say that I make the music and I, you know I make it because it's for me and I try not to think about you know the uh, bring a critical voice to it my deep desire is to connect with people and so yeah the thought of doing one or two new songs on that tour is actually really exciting to me so yeah I will take your not that it was a suggestion but I'll take that idea yeah I will.
0: All right, so, by the way, you mentioned the fact that it's a side project, very different. Can you give any sort of preview or too soon?
1: Well, what can I say about it? I'm working, I'm response to an archive in Chicago that's kind of this incredible archive of books and letters and postcards and objects and art pieces that are all from, I guess, yeah, all from American history, black diaspora history. And I went into this archive, it's the Stony Island Arts Bank in Chicago, and it's been put together by a a brilliant visual artist called Fiesta Gates. And I just, he said, oh, you have to do a concert here. And straight away, I was like, I have to make some kind of response to these objects because I went on tour and I was writing a poem about a sculpture or I was writing a song about a postcard I'd seen from you know from the 1920s or seeing all these songs that were written in slavery times or there was a Nick Cave sound suit just hanging on the wall and books about Ethiopia and the history of dance and mask and so yeah that's been a really fun project to develop and I really want it to come out next year I mean there's no reason it's like touching all the bits of wood in the studio but yeah I would I really want that to come out next year so I mean, maybe we could talk about that when, when you're free another time. When we could, when I'm closer to the time, I'd love to sort of... Yeah, absolutely. Because, you, you know, you obviously you, you live there and you have a deep interest and connection to culture and the music and all of that and the art. No, absolutely. I would love that. And it's, you know, it's fascinating, obviously, too,
0: when you get to work based on someone else's material, it influences you so much. So funny. I remember, I love Billy Bragg, um, brilliant songwriter, And I remember interviewing him for when he was doing the material based on the Woody Guthrie songs. um, Yeah. And it was so funny because great guy, but he came into the interview and he was just, he would never look at me. He kind of had this attitude of like, all right, well, you're not going to ask me anything that anybody else hasn't asked me. Go ahead. And wasn't rude, but kind of just disinterested. And then I asked him, and again, he wasn't rude, but he just was like, you know, he kind of predicted. I asked him how you know writing based off woody guthrie stuff was influencing his own music and he looked at me as if like to say he's like oh and he said he's like oh that's actually a really interesting question but look when you're working off someone else's material of course it gets into your subconscious of course it influences you and it infiltrates you in a way so it'd be very fascinating to when it's closer to it talk about how working off all this material influences you yes i'd love to
1: do that I think, you know, not having to generate the story is the most fascinating part of it for me. To feel like these objects are speaking to you, that's how I felt they're trying to tell me something, you know, and they've got their own crackle vibration. So, yeah, that was really, really great. So
0: we'll wrap up on this, but obvious question, because it's so funny. We started off, we were talking about the tour, but there's so many other things to talk about. But, you know, tell me about, like, is this, it's funny, Have you do you have a long relationship with Joss? Have you guys ever were together? Are you all friends? So, like I said, I, I've known her for years. I adore her.
1: Really? I think she's so lovely and obviously such a great talent as well. But I, I, We've only kind of circled each other. I mean, we met briefly when we were both going to see Gladys Knight a couple of years ago. Um, it was amazing because she I think I was walking past like Gladys Knight's limo and, and looked in and like Joss Stone was in there with Gladys Knight and she was obviously just telling her, you know, how much she loved her. And they they obviously were having a really nice hang. And then I saw her at that show. I think I've met her a couple of times. But, yeah, we've been talking a lot on the phone, sort of coming up to this tour and just thinking, we want to do something special together. Are we going to try and write something for the tour? Um, you know, I just think it'd be fun to be, to compare our stories, you know, like two British girls who were who found you know a a life in music and it's taken us all over the world I mean it's taken literally taken her all over the world hasn't it because she's played in every single country in the world I think except North Korea I think but um yeah so she's got really fascinating stories and I just think it's always great to find other women in the music industry to talk to and to just see what our experiences are like and you know she has a, a deep connection to soul music and and so do I and she you know she's helped, been helped along the way by lots of brilliant American musicians, you know, including Questlove, who I love and, you know, loved his film recently. That was really incredible to sort of uncover those archives and, and give air to those to that day or to that, that series of concerts in Harlem, you know? So, yeah, I think it's going to be great. It,
0: (laughs) It just re it reaffirmed my endless fascination that has gone on, for most of my adult life that will never, it was Sly in the Family Stone.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, I and love Sly, Sly and the Family Stone. Recently, isn't, he, isn't he fascinating? And then we saw him in Coachella and it's one of those concerts where um, I think he was, was, was like, she bit, was meant to be on this. Were you at that same show? And it's
0: so funny because Paul Tillett, who books Coachella, is a very good friend of mine. I've known him for years and I was standing next to him and he just looked at me and he said, it wasn't like this in rehearsal at all
1: yes I bet and he was like meant to be on one stage and then he was not there and then he was meant to be another I think it was like three different venues were meant were announced and he was about five hours late but I mean I I would love to see him again I'd love to speak to him I just he's given the world so much great music and you know it was it was Questlove who gave me a version of Fresh it was like the original he didn't like what the label had done a few of the records were pressed with his original mix of it did you ever hear that? No, it, it it's just I mean, amazing to think of like what he omitted. You know, I don't want horns on here. I don't want this. I don't want the vocals on here. And that one, of, it's just a kind of rawer version of that record, Fresh, which is a record I really, really love. And um, but yeah, I love how futuristic that band is in terms of the mix of genders and ethnicities and what they're talking about, and you know his his marriage and everything. And yeah, I just think. It must have been hard to be Flystone at that particular time. And I just hope however he is, he is kind of at peace and happy and knows how beloved, you know, his music is at least.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely fascinating. All right, cool. But by the way, just as a quick aside, you know, it's funny you were talking about things that you and Joss could do together. And you mentioned Gladys Knight, who's one of the greatest vocalists of all time, just as a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm putting out there, you know, a, a nice little like since you met first time at a Gladys Knight concert you know, do like a one or two Gladys Knight covers. Like, I just
1: think that would be amazing. Wow. That'd be so incredible. She really is amazing, isn't she? She's just got this sort of truth to her voice. It's sort of this pained truth to her voice. A oh my God, you Gladys one of us wants to
0: be the first to say goodbye? Uh, that's
1: uh, awesome song. Yeah. I mean, even the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she really is. She really is a star. Well, that's given me good food for thought for that whole tour so thank you nice cool well, anything that you want to add
0: well I mean obviously we'll talk again when you have the new project ready to go uh, I look forward to it but anything you want to add we didn't cover this time although I'm gonna admit I'm looking at the dates because I was re-looking at them this morning there's nothing booked right now for you and Joss in LA so will the tour expand or do you have plans to come here on your own
1: I would love to I would love to do either like I would love to do some more shows with her further on in that year so I think we're just like trying to find out how how much people are free like the two of us but I would really like to do some more shows with her in the summer so we'll see
0: cool well thank you so much for your time it was a great pleasure
1: thank you again I really enjoyed it thanks have a good one All right. take it bye bye
0: Hey, this is Steve Balton. You have been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Corinne Bailey Ray. Thanks. If
1: this love is, this love is, this love is, this love that am feeling. If this love is, this love is, this love is, this love.